So Vincent, you recently went to Miami. Why did you go to Miami and what did you do there? So basically I wanted to meet uh, the new uh, NFT community growing uh, super fast and wanted to know what it was all about, all these different uh, uh, ecosystem getting into NFT. So, but I went to the traditional Art Basel fair as well to see if there was any uh, presence of NFT on in there. And uh, as I knew, uh, Tezos was there and uh, they had a very nice booth. And apparently it was the busiest one. So I went a few times. Each time it was super full. So it was Kazimodo was doing a generative art with AI. So you basically put your face and it's interpreting your portrait with some uh, machine point of view as well. So it doesn't look like you at all almost, but uh, it was pretty cool. And uh, yes, and uh, the booth was click. It was super nice. And I listened to one of the talk and I met a few people that we work with uh, in person. That was nice. And yeah, it was pretty exciting to see that Tezos was the only one uh, present uh, on the traditional art fair. And people were very interested and were like, what is Tezos? What is an SV? And all that around us. But a lot of people were answering them. So it was pretty cool to see that. And uh, yeah, I met traditional gallery as well who are interested in working on uh, NFT and to see what uh, use case they can um, work on. And um, it's pretty uh, exhilarating. And I went as well to the one-off event, a two-days event. I went to the second day, and they had a very interesting panel. And we saw, I, I listened to some artists, to some basketball player who was going into NFT as well. So it was very diversified. The crowd was pretty uh, non-technical, but they were really excited about all the um, promises of, uh, of NFTs and all the system use case. So, that was nice to, to be there and uh, to interact with these people. Yeah. Awesome. Um, so if you were completely from the art world, right, did not know much about tech, and you walked in, like, what do you think the impression they got about all this NXT stuff is? And I guess specifically for Tezos, what would they have seen? What was the first question, sorry? If you were from the art world, mm -hmm. and you didn't have a tech background, and you showed up at these events, what impression do you think they would have gotten about NFTs and specifically about Tezos NFTs? So the impression you will get is that you can put a, a digital version of your heart and it's like an extension and make it something that could be ephemeral, uh, perpetual and make it live forever on the internet, you know, some uh, point of view that, uh, uh, let's say, non uh, so digital artists were having first. On Tezos specifically, they really understood that uh, it was a clean uh, uh, technology compared to many other players where you could, uh, another layer one, where you can issue NFTs. So it was uh, pretty clear that uh, people care about the carbon, the footprint and all the energy consumed when they do NFT. And as well, uh, of course, the last piece, it, it, it's uh, more economic to do it on uh, Tezos. So yeah, they were curious. They, were, they didn't know much about it. Uh, a lot of people are asking questions uh, very basic. But uh, even for that, like uh, the Tezos booth has some very nice definition that I found very useful when you don't know anything about it. So, but no, yeah. Do I answer your question? <laughs> yeah, was it mainly a booth or uh, were there other 
Um, no, and so that, with people talking that kind of thing. Was there uh, so there was you mean was there any other NFT booth uh, in the art fair itself? No, for Tesla was, was there anything aside from a booth? Were there any talks? Were there any? Yeah, so events? inside the booth there was uh, two days of three days of panel. So there was a lot of different people uh, back to back, and it was a small. So it was the first as well because that was the only place where you can have a panel uh, and listen to people talking in the art battle. And that's why there was a big line all the time because when they realized they could listen to experts talking about all these topics, uh, they were going into the queue, and uh, that's why it was busy. But um, yes, there was some event. So I arrived on Thursday, so I missed the Tezos event was on Wednesday evening. But yes, there was. Um, but except that uh, one of was related to, of course, uh, Tezos because one of is running on Tezos. But except that uh, I didn't follow everything because I was like thousands of events. It was overwhelming when I checked what I was going to do. I was like, OK, I cannot do everything. I have to choose. But um, no, yeah, um, that was the main event around Tezos, I think. The booth at the Art Basel Fair and uh, the one off. So if people come into the Tezos NFT ecosystem because of, uh, because of these events, do you think they're going to mint on object.com and other services like that? Or do you think they're going to follow a more sort of bespoke strategy? Like, how do you think these new people, not the existing sort of Tether's NFT artists, but this sort of more uh, connected, uh, less technology oriented people, how might they come into the Tether's world? I mean, for the people who interacted at the booth, uh, Tezos there, I think they will uh, keep, be keen to, to stay there because uh, it was very uh, well done, simplified, like this uh, Kukai wallet uh, connected to your Twitter account. If people are happy to share that uh, connection on their Twitter account, that, will, that made it super easy. So they could just keep going and use that uh, tool. And apparently there was 5,000 NFT created and wallet created during this event in three days, so it's pretty good. So no, I think it's a, it's a, it was a very good uh, marketing uh, operation, and I, I hope it's gonna, uh, yeah, bring more people to the industry. And I think it was a, a good way to do that because indeed that was the best way to get people who are not at all in the NFT industry because there was a lot of other NFT events like some crypto NFT uh, at the beginning of the week that where I didn't go. But um, yes, this one was good to attract new people, which is a good way to, to go with that, I think. Awesome. So overall, uh, you're happy with how things transpired and uh, you're optimistic for, for NFTs and specifically on Tethers? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, and yeah, and, and on Saturday, I went to a, a traditional one, but which is a bit, it's called Scope. So it's not official. But there is so many uh, um, satellite events, and there was a lot more NFT there, like for everybody, from everybody, and um, next to regular art, and it was it was fun too. So yeah, so it's definitely mixing more and more, and uh, pretty uh, fascinating, and it's good to be in this industry. <laughs> and then finally, um, did you come away with any ideas of things that we can do to? make it easier for these people, make it more attractive, solve their problems? Like, is there something, are there some things that came to your mind after uh, spending all this time around our people and the uh, NFTers? 
I wish I can tell you I have a revolutionary idea now I went there, but it's more that people are trying to find new use case because there is already not saturation, but there is already so many different things. But I listened to this uh, artist uh, Blondish at the one of um, event who just released her uh, social token. And uh, she was thinking about uh, having uh, her audience to dance and you could track the move of the audience. And because they do that, they could have some token <laughs> and like you will have uh, uh, something to track your, your move. And I was thinking, wow, it's pretty, uh, it's pretty uh, deep. I mean, in a way it was a, it's a good idea, but now, yeah. Um, so no, I didn't think to, um, uh, something new i mean i heard new use cases now if it's gonna work or not it's uh, it's something to be seen right it's still too early but yeah uh no yeah i guess i don't i didn't have a, a great idea after that i just learned more stuff on how it can be uh, inspiring people cool so more evolution than revolution Mm -hmm. I was wondering, uh, all the NFTs that you saw there, were they all art-oriented? There was nothing else? Because there are definitely other applications. Yeah, no, you're right, you're right. There is definitely other, but uh, yeah, no, it was really centered around the art, right? And so sometimes you are like... Were the tickets NFTs? I mean, I didn't see everything as well, of course, so... I think there was some NFT where you could get some perk. And for example, the one-off, I did uh, the original drop were free and I got the, uh, it's, it was basically a, a token you got originally. And because of that, you can go to some party or some event. So that was one thing because I was there at the beginning, I could get in. But uh, I didn't see anything of use on other use case. I mean, maybe there was, right? But wherever I was, it was all around art because I was seeing a regular art next to uh, NFT stuff. And the funny part is that usually you had digital art was nothing to do with NFT, right? Because some people were doing that before. And each time I could see a screen or something, you could be sure it was NFT, <laughs> you know? So I didn't see any digital art, not NFT. It was the first, I mean, yeah, in a way. How were the parties? They, they were good. I mean, I, I didn't do anything too wild as well, right? I mean, <laughs> we are still in a, in mm -hmm. a specific period. And I had, uh, as you know, some uh, uh, work uh, uh, appointments. So I didn't want to be wasted in the next day. But um, so I was pretty proud of myself about that. <laughs> because, it, of course, I was free drink everywhere and uh, even the the regular, uh, like that's the thing, there was the official one and there was a scope one and the scope, there was so many sponsors, champagne sponsors, and I was like, what? <laughs> so, I know I didn't, uh, I mean, it was fun, it was fun for sure, but, and I did some satellite uh, art as well, which was fun uh, with some uh, friend of mine, completely different, but. Uh, you did art, you said? No, I did, uh, I, I went to see some uh, art performance, which oh. were not related uh, satellite. Uh, stuff and they were already thinking to do NFT as well of some of the performance, which is uh, like a video of because in modern art museum you see some performance, you, know, you, you see a video and you wait for five minutes, you look at what the person is doing, you're like, What is he doing? and now they, they are thinking to do NFT of the video as well. So, but uh, cool. it makes sense, it's a new trend, so everyone you want to get in, but yeah, no, it was fun. <laughs> yeah, when I go out, I call it a work engagement also. 
right, so while all this exciting stuff was going on, uh, the Tezos network was kind of busy upgrading itself into the Hangzhou protocol. Um, so do you want to reverse the panel a little bit? You guys want to ask me how the Hangzhou protocol went? Yes. How did you go? <laughs> how did you prepare? I, I have a more detailed question. Um, what have you done to retain your youthful appearance during this difficult time? Uh, I've mainly gone into, uh, I've crept into my fridge and just kind of crouched in there to cryogenically freeze myself. But the good news is uh, for this major upgrade, that amount of cryogenic freezing wasn't required. We spent a lot of time testing in advance, uh, especially you can see we did a we did a, an enormous amount of effort upgrading our backend infrastructure. So all the software had to be updated in anticipation of Hangzhou. Um, most importantly, there was something called, uh, there was a storage upgrade. So during during the switchover of the protocol, some types of nodes took about half an hour to upgrade themselves. Some of them took several hours and in some exceptional cases, it took much longer than that. So we had to make sure we were prepared for all of this. Uh, uh, a decentralized protocol upgrade doesn't really obey any holiday calendars. So sadly, it happened on a Friday night, but that was fine. Uh, we, we worked around it. And when the protocol upgrade itself happened, things more or less went okay. Uh, there, there was no need for any last minute patches. There was no need for any uh, bug fixes at the last second. And um, all things said and done, uh, I think it went pretty smoothly. And we had people that were gonna come in on Saturday and just uh, be around to fix any issues, but they didn't even need to come in. So enormous amount of testing seems to have paid off, uh, but uh, yeah, just happy that that uh, th this went okay and uh, looking forward to creeping into my fridge again. So it's a good point, right? We also had a very large consay release at the same time. Uh, that appears to have gone well. We have lots of new functionality, right? Yeah, so that was a major concern. Not only were we upgrading the protocol, but we had months and months of pent up consay changes. So we've added uh, a bunch of new features. For example, it's possible to get the entire history of a big map right now. So let's say uh, you're looking at a token contract. Now you can check the balance, the token balances as of any date in the past. So if you were curious who held how much USDTV in April, you can do so now uh, using Consay or Aranax. Uh, we made a bunch of uh, you know stability and development changes. Those seem to have gone well. Uh, better fork handling and uh, you know just something like thirty-eight individual pull requests have to uh, have to be merged in in order to get this Consay release out and. Uh, you know, on top of a major protocol upgrade. So that all went out. Truth be told, there's a couple of features that we didn't officially release that, that we did add code for. So one of them is uh, metadata caching. So have, just to have metadata for all the token contracts on Tezos and uh, some NFT specific functionality and uh, 
we're we're trying to uh, get those last bits out right now. But um, overall, went pretty well for us. And as we understand it, for other ecosystem participants that you can see, uh, they also had a smooth upgrade. And uh, for several months now, we've been uh, increasing the capacity of our infrastructure, right? So I imagine part of the reason why it went well is because we had just more capacity. So more servers can be down, for example, while we maintain uh, service to our users. Yeah, like we keep saying, usage has really gone up this year. So in just the past few months, something like 27 million transactions have happened. So you know, the, the interesting thing is, usually we've been fine with two consane environments in production for most of the lifetime of Tezos. But this year, there's been so much demand that we're up to eight environments. So yeah, indeed, that helped. Scaling of the infrastructure months in advance really helped. But you know, it's an arduous process, and uh, the costs do go up. Um, and then, you know, the other thing is, we've realized each machine that we have in, in the infrastructure has to be scaled up. So uh, we're we're running much much bigger servers right now, but given the amount of usage and the fact that we kind of expect to go up even further uh now we're gonna have to make some optimizations to convey to the data that's stored in the in the database or we're just not going to be able to keep up so in the coming weeks and months we're going to spend time on optimizing pruning the kinds of data that we store and uh just really the amount of storage that's needed to store all this data, which previously was completely fine, but is now happily it's becoming unsustainable. Cool, but I'm excited about the fact that uh, we're able to keep Galleon running smoothly almost the entire time. I mean, obviously, as you said, uh, during the storage upgrade process, the servers were non-responsive, but that was a very brief period. Absolutely. There was a 20, 30 minute period in which all the nodes of the network were upgrading themselves. So not a single block could be produced in that time. So naturally, Galleon wasn't operational then. However, as soon as you know one of our nodes was online, we could get Galleon also back online. So for such a major upgrade, the service interruption was, uh, I would say, about 35 minutes because you know the nodes had to upgrade, then the, the block production had to go back to normal. Um, and through that whole process, we were able to keep Galleon up and running. And uh, you know, this is not necessarily the case on many other chains with many other hard and soft works. So all in all, uh, that went pretty well. Cool, so uh, now that we just dealt with protocol H Hangzhou, now, we immediately have to turn our sights to protocol I. Does anyone know what I stands for and how to pronounce it? Because I sure as hell cannot. I didn't realize they picked the name. There is a name. I just can't pronounce it. So maybe we'll get used to it on, on, on the next uh, session. We'll, we'll, we'll each take a gander at saying it completely, completely right. But yeah, protocol all I is expected to be injected sometime really soon, which means in about three months, this massive upgrade is about to take place, which changes a lot the way Tezos works. So 
Are you I mean, it, it, it's a fundamental change to consensus, right? Like I can't think of a a more fundamental thing than that. Like unless uh, smart contract language is being swapped out or something. Like this is a big, big deal. And in addition to changing the mechanics of the consensus, the block production uh, time is shortened significantly as well. And that's going to have some challenges for us on a number of uh, projects. So Kutsay needs to be able to index things a lot more quickly and uh, provide accurate data relative to what's sort of uh, settled versus what is still in flight. My understanding is that the head is no longer head. Is that correct? Yeah, that's correct. So a lot of ways in which things work, people will have to reorient them in their heads. So uh, like you mentioned, Mike, head can be either seen as the most current block uh, if users want to take a little bit of risk that uh, you know blocks can be reorganized. Or all users and like our wallet can just assume that head is the most current block minus two. In which case, because of the new consensus mechanism, tender, tender bait, um, they'll have finality. So if you always look two blocks behind, you're always certain that your transaction is official, recorded, cannot be changed, a certain amount of risk with the two most current blocks. So uh, at this juncture, we might just, you know, in Galleon and in other tools, simply treat latest minus two as head and only expose that to the users. But you know, we could still index the two latest blocks for those who are interested, who are running bots and other uh, sort of marginal applications. And uh, another thing that really changes is each block used to be endorsed by 64 endorsers in the past, and now it's going to be something like 700. So uh, the block production rate goes up, the number of endorsers goes up, the, the way the endorsers are sort of structured also changes. So data volume might go up a lot, tremendously a lot for Tezos. And that's something that we have to adopt to within three months. Um, but the good news is, uh, I think as tool makers in the Tezos space, we've all become a little bit more organized. We have every two weeks, we have a call for all the wallet makers. Every two weeks, we have a call for all the uh, indexer makers like uh, and say TVKT uh, and so on. And, um, you know, and this is in addition to the bi-weekly calls we already have with the foundation. So hopefully that helps minimize uh, the, the headache and, the, and uh, hopefully there's no chaos, but uh, this is a pretty dramatic change and it's gonna require tremendous effort and especially we lose the holiday period because you know uh, our our development team and the rest of our team they they need to spend some time with their families so it's going to be an, a real adventure as i said the decentralized protocol it doesn't seem to respect uh, nights weekends and holidays Is there uh, anything else to talk about with Proto-I? Because I think um, as we start building, uh, as we start making changes for Proto-I, we'll have a lot more granular insight. And we'll, of course, bring it up on this call and uh, our podcast and whatnot, so people can follow along. 
as we embark on this grand adventure. Cool. What else is there to talk about in the Tezos space? Anything you guys want to talk about on top of this? I haven't been paying attention last two weeks, I want to say. I've been uh, looking at some of this uh, lending platform smart contract code and the wrappers for it. So I don't know what's up on Tezos aside from the fact that we have a new protocol. <laughs> yeah. You know, that that's generally how we are. We're so busy in our neck of the woods. There's so much changing that sometimes we're, we're the least qualified people to talk about current events. For medium term, we're great because almost everything that happens in the Tesla space touches us. So we, we, we know about it, we have our pulse, but stuff that's happening in a 24, 48 hour horizon, you know, might as well, might as well not exist for uh, many of us, but Anyway, I think uh, we should we should invite active Twitter Tezos influencers yeah. to these conversations. Yeah, that's a good yeah. point. Uh, on one day, we will have a community manager who will be on top of everything. Yes, absolutely. I think in general, we can bring on some guests now because um, there's so much to talk about, right? Like there's so much cool stuff happening with Tez Edge, which is the Rust-based node for Tezos. And uh, there's people building really interesting tools. Uh, some people that we work with that are building interesting projects. So we can definitely bring them on and uh, interrogate them. I'm really curious to deploy a Tez Edge node because that would be so much more efficient. Our hardware setup would be much simpler. It'd be smaller, cheaper, faster per unit of compute. Can't wait. Yeah, I'm really glad you said that because we're about to do it on our test infrastructure. We're going to put a test edge node in and we're just going to like benchmark the life out of it. We're going to run can see against it. We'll figure out how well it can do things. Um, maybe even bring on uh, some members of the test edge team and kind of go into the, into the weeds. And the thing that I'd be most, if all of this works nicely, which I think it should, the, the number one thing I'd be interested in is during the protocol upgrade, is there, it, does it move completely in concert with the OCaml mode? And if it does, then it's really great that we'll have uh, another really strong option to work with. That's a very good question. No idea. Yeah. We should um, ask URI. Absolutely. So if URI is listening, we're going to prod you. Uh, to publicly interrogate you. Um, cool. So I think we went through a lot. So we can bid farewell to our viewers and listeners. So let's say goodbye to them. Goodbye. <laughs> Bye, <laughs> listeners. Bye. All right. <laughs> <laughs>